If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Robin Myers, senior minister in one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Dr. Robin Myers. The inspiration for the sermon today comes from several different sources, one of which is a paraphrase from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, verse 23. I am a God nearby and not a God far off. Who can hide in secrets so that I cannot see? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? And then several quotes from Albert Einstein. The most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and all science. Science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. Here ends the readings from several traditions. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. First, after I apologize for the head cold I have, and then I'm not shaking hands today because I don't want you to catch it, I'm also going to say I'm doing something completely different this morning from the pulpit. It's our habit around here to preach from scripture, usually one of the lectionary passages, but this morning I'm not preaching from the Bible at all. Sometimes, in fact, I need a break from preaching from the Bible, and I just want to talk about something that's not in the Bible at all. We live in the 21st century, not the first, and there's a lot of wisdom out there nowhere to be found between the pages, between Genesis and Revelation. So when I'm finished, you may think, well, that was not a sermon, really. If you're a science nerd, you might love it. If you're not, you may be bored by it, but here we go. This is a tribute to Stephen Hawking and to what he taught so many of us about the cosmos and our place in it because he died last March at 76 after struggling with one of the cruelest diseases humans can be afflicted by, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. And he died on Albert Einstein's birthday. If I still believed in coincidences, I might think that was one. Last October, a science writer for the New York Times, Dennis Overby, penned a tribute to his friend Stephen Hawking, entitled, On the Other Side Now, But Still Spurring Debate. And because Sean, my wife, brings home the science section of the Times every week, because it is her favorite section of the paper, and often reads articles to me, which she begins by saying, you've got to listen to this. And of course, I do. 
Here is what I heard and why I decided on the spot to share it with you one of these days. The cosmologist and pop science icon Stephen Hawking spoke out from the grave recently in the form of his last scientific paper. Appropriately for a man on the other side, the paper is about how to escape from a black hole. Cleansed of its abstract mathematics, the paper is an ode to memory, loss, and the oldest of human yearnings, the desire for transcendence. As the doomed figure in Bruce Springsteen's Atlantic City sings, everything dies, baby, that's a fact, but maybe everything that dies someday comes back. Dr. Hawking was the manifestation of perseverance. Stricken by Lou Gehrig's disease, he managed to conquer the universe from a wheelchair. The fate of matter or information caught in a black hole is one that defined his career, and it's become one of the deepest issues in physics. Black holes are objects so dense that according to Einstein's law of general relativity, not even light can escape. In 1974, Dr. Hawking turned these objects and the rest of physics inside out. He discovered to his surprise that the random quantum effects that rule the microscopic world would cause black holes to leak and eventually explode and disappear. In the fullness of time, which in many case, cases would be longer than the current age of the universe, all mass and energy that had fallen into the hole would come back out. But according to the classical Einstein equations, black holes are disturbingly simple. Their only properties are mass, electrical charge, and angular momentum. Every other detail about what falls into a black hole disappears from the universe's memory banks. A black hole has no complications, no hair, the saying went. So the fountain of matter and energy exiting a black hole would be random, Dr. Hawking emphasized in a paper in 1975, if you fell into one and came back out, you would lack all the details that had made you, you. Male or female, blue eyes or brown, Yankee fan or Red Sox fan. The equation describing that fate is inscribed on Dr. Hawking's tombstone in Westminster Abbey, where it presumably will endure the ages. That's some kind of reincarnation. If nature can forget you, it could forget anything, a death blow to the ability of science to reconstruct the past or predict the future. It's the past that tells us who we are, Dr. Hawking told a conference at Harvard a couple of years ago. Without it, we lose our identity. In effect, Dr. Hawking maintained in his 1975 paper the paradoxical quantum effects that Einstein had once dismissed, saying that God doesn't play dice, were adding an extra forgetfulness to nature. God not only plays dice, Dr. Hawking wrote, but he often throws them where they can't be seen. Those were fighting words to other physicists. It was a basic tenet that the proverbial film of history can be run backwards 
to reconstruct what happened in, say, the collision of a pair of subatomic particles in a high-energy collider. Thirty years later, Dr. Hawking recanted, but the argument went on. The information paradox, as it is known, remained at the center of physics because nobody, not even Dr. Hawking, could explain how black holes actually process the information that enters or exits them. But scientists have been having a blast theorizing about the nature of space-time, information and memory. Some have suggested that you, you can't even get into a black hole without being vaporized by a firewall of energy, let alone get back out. Recent years have brought a glimmer of hope. Andrew Strominger of Harvard discovered that when viewed from the right mathematical perspective, that of a light ray headed toward the infinite future, black holes are more complicated than we thought. They have what Dr. Strominger calls soft hair. I love this, soft hair in the form of those imaginary light rays which can be ruffled, stroked, twisted, and otherwise arranged by material coming into the black hole. In principle, this hair could encode information on the surface of the black hole, recording all those details that Einstein's equations supposedly leave out. Whether this is enough to save physics, let alone a person falling into a black hole, is what Dr. Hawking was working on in the years before he died. When I wrote my paper 40 years ago, he said, I thought the information would pass into another universe. Now, he said, it's on the surface of the black hole. The information will be re-emitted when the black hole evaporates. Other experts, including Juan uh, Maldacena of the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, have been more measured, saying that if soft hair does not solve the information paradox, it might at least help. In his recent posthumous report, which drew a flurry of press, Dr. Hawking and his colleagues endeavored to show how this optimistic idea could work. Besides Dr. Hawking, the paper's authors were Dr. Strominger as well as Malcolm Perry and Sasha Hako of Cambridge. Dr. Strominger is hopeful that physics one day will be able to understand black holes just by reading what's written in this soft hair. We didn't prove it, he said in an email, but he added they did succeed in showing how all the pieces could fit together. If our guess is right, this paper will be of central importance. If not, it will be a technical footnote, how scientists talk. Few of us, including Dr. Hawking, ever harbored the hope that solving the information paradox would bring back our parents, the dinosaurs, or Joe DiMaggio from whatever was awaiting in Atlantic City. Somewhere along the way, we've all made some sort of accommodation with the idea that our personal timelines will come to an end. But we take some comfort in knowing that we will be remembered and that our genes and books and names will carry on. Last year's Pixar Disney movie Coco, which I happened to watch with my daughter recently, tells the story of a young Mexican boy who visits the land of the dead to find an ancestor who can help him in his quest to become a musician. 
The land of the dead is a lively place, but its denizens can only stay there, it turns out, as long as someone remembers them. When the memories vanish, so even do the animated skeletons. Some astronomers now say that even this pale version of salvation might be in jeopardy. A mysterious force called dark energy is speeding up the expansion of the universe. Someday, these experts say, if this expansion continues, making galaxies fly away faster and faster, the rest of the universe will be permanently out of sight to us, and we will be permanently out of sight of it. It would be as if we were surrounded by a black hole into which all our information and memory were disappearing. In our little bubble of the Milky Way, we might always remember Aretha and Cleopatra and Shakespeare and Hawking, but will the rest of the universe remember us? That's where the article ended. I just want to say a couple of things because you might be wondering, why would you share this article with us in church? With candles on the table and wrapped in the soundtrack of hymns and the beautiful music we just heard, and your faces upturned for joys, but turned down for concerns. It's no surprise why Sean wanted me to hear it. I am wrestling with quantum physics as a spiritual reformation, especially quantum entanglement, as something that is changing all our understanding of time and space, maybe even the meaning of love. But why would I impose this on you? Perhaps because when Stephen Hawking wrote A Brief History of Time, some of you are old enough to remember that book from the mid-80s. It landed on everyone's coffee table and a few people even read it. <laughs> we have known for a long time that our basic understandings of how the universe is put together and how it works were changing. Not because science is the enemy of religion, but because it is a sibling staring at the world and wondering how to make sense of it. Unlike theologians, scientists often investigate truth claims and try to disprove them, while theologians are just busy defending them, even if they were born in a cosmology that none of us recognize anymore. This is certainly true of our images of God. They are left over from a world that has vanished even though we seem unable to reimagine them. And what fascinates me about Stephen Hawking is that he was a scientist who so easily used the name God, which made other scientists uncomfortable, even though most church people would consider him an atheist. Wasting away in a wheelchair for most of his life, Stephen Hawking was at once both a model for entropy and for creativity wasting away physically while his mind was turned loose to explore black holes and the metaphorical soft hair that might prove that even the universe can store memories. I can tell you that I don't know what any of this means, but this much I feel more and more certain about. When we think we know, that is when we do not know. But when we know that we do not know, that is when we know. Okay, you know that's not original with me. It's the opening lines of the Tao. But it reminds us that the sickness of organized religion, particularly in the West, 
has been our arrogant and often deadly set of assumptions about what we can know and about what we insist others must believe. I've pretty much had it with believing. There is no blessing in believing. There is no redemption in believing. There is no transformation of creation that is in jeopardy in just believing. There is only faith, hope, and love in the doing of justice and the, the healing of brokenness and the surrender of personal identity in service to compassion for others. Dear humans, do the right thing and then remember. That may be the structure of the universe itself, which some theologians argue has a kind of primal memory that predates the Big Bang, as if every single thing has a memory of when it was one thing. And that's why particles behave so strangely when we study them and black holes baffle us when we imagine what happens to everything sucked up by them and whether there's any escape out the other side. I wonder sometimes if perhaps it is not the case that the world of the infinitely small and the infinitely large actually meet somewhere on the backside of the universe like identical twins and then feel no need to introduce themselves to one another. In the meantime, which as W.H. Auden reminded us is the most important time, we will set our compass by the two strongest forces in human existence, memory and hope. We will honor our loved ones by remembering them, which is a form of immortality, and we will hope to be remembered ourselves, not because we want to be well known for being well known, but for having loved and for having been loved. That's why church is, in the metaphorical language of this article, like soft hair. We catch and hold the best things we can remember about the best ways to be human. And we keep alive the memories of the ways we can also lose our humanity and preachers are supposed to comb through that soft hair on a regular basis and then tell us things we must not forget. All in the hope that we will come out the other side redeemed by what we have refused to forget, by what we remember, because memory is sacred. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact. But maybe everything that dies someday comes back. Rest in peace, Stephen Hawking, wherever you are. And if you come out the other side of the black hole, please come back. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Dr. Robin Myers, Senior Minister of Mayflower Congregation on UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., with adult education classes at 10 a.m., and a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, a block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.